Hello and welcome to another episode of the DEP In-Basin Observations Podcast, where we explore the latest trends and developments in the oil and gas industry. Today we have traveled to Enquest Energy Solutions Facility, and we are joined by the president of Enquest, Jamie Stewart. Jamie is an oilfield veteran with expertise in manufacturing, repair, and service of oilfield equipment. Prior to Enquest, Jamie was president and CEO of Surefire Industries, and prior to that, a sales manager, along with a bunch of other things for Stewart and Stevenson. Most importantly, he is a longtime friend of DEP. Notably, Jamie was the guest for the first episode of the Oilfield 360 podcast. So if you have a few minutes, go over to that feed and check out episode number one. He gives an insightful interview of his career, and it's a fun listen. We are thankful that Jamie would let us come over to his office and record this podcast at a really busy time for his business. We had a nice conversation and touched on numerous topics in the OFS world from supply chain troubles to the electrification of frac. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this conversation and all of our other episodes we've recorded so far. Join us for our next episode and give us feedback, but please be gentle. Now, on to the interview. We are here today with Jamie Stewart at Enquest Energy Solutions. Uh, ready for another one of these. I've got John Daniel, Bill Austin, and Jamie Stewart with me. Um, ready to talk a little bit about what Enquest has been up to. Um, thank you very much for sitting down with us, and thank you for letting us come to your office and do this. Well, uh, thanks, guys. Really appreciate uh, an opportunity to tell you a little bit more about Enquest. All right. Well, good. We're going to jump right into it, as we usually do. Um, first, for anyone who might not know Enquest, give us the quick history. Uh, when did it start? What brought you here? Okay, okay, so Enquest uh, uh, began in uh, Calgary, Canada. Um, the two investors uh, in, in our company are Mark Williamson and Larry Lindholm of uh, Crown Energy Technologies and Interflow fame. Um, they uh, asked me to come on board and help them start their U.S. business and uh, started that, that uh, endeavor back in about May of 18. Okay, and we first met back sometime i guess around 2008 2009 you're preparing to leave one platform to start surefire that's right okay and many a times i went over to i guess it's on Britmore, the old facility yep okay i'm, I'm dating myself now this would have been 2010 11 12 where i was a regular coming to see you and we would go out and walk the floor of the shop and as a nosy analyst i was always looking to see what logos were on pumps and we just completed a walkthrough of your facility here i've been to your odessa facility have not been to the calgary one although i did see mark in calgary a few weeks back or a few months back but the thing that stuck out to me walking through the facility today is i didn't see the hodgepodge of names in the shop it was much fewer players i won't name the names but heavy concentrations whereas in 2010, 11, 12, I would have seen multiple different logos and paint schemes at your shop. Compare, contrast what you did then versus what you're doing now. So um, 10, 11, 12, um, enormous growth in the number of frac companies and, and frac uh, as an application. Um, growth like we have never seen before. Um, we had a lot of startups, a lot of private equity money coming into the business, and uh, they were spending money um, like it grew on trees and, and starting frac companies. Uh, if somebody had a contract or a really good relationship, uh, they could get $50 million and get a couple of fleets put together and, and start a frac company. 
Um, compare that to today, um, it is a totally different world. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the horsepower is owned by you know the top uh, five, six right. uh, companies out there. Uh, they're usually large public companies. Um, and the only money that they're getting is money uh, from available cash flow. Mm-hmm. Um, totally, totally different than 2010, 11, 12. Okay. So on that point, when you, when you look at the market today, even though you're not necessarily building right now for a new co, how many phone calls do you get today from people who have, you know, a hope and a prayer to want to go into the frack business? Zero. Zero. Okay. And that's, that's the interesting thing because we just got back from New York. We were at the, the Piper conference and really good by the way. And, uh, you know, one of the things that the, there were several public frack companies that spoke on a panel and they, they alluded to the lack of new entrants, which we, which we kind of knew. Uh, and then we put out our Sunday night note uh, last night, and you're hearing this for now for the first time, Bill, because I got an email from a, a friend in the private equity community because we made a, a reference in the note. Well, let's take a step back. The, a lot of questions we were getting in New York and Boston were, where is private equity yeah. this cycle? And they're like nowhere to be seen as it relates to lower 48 onshore small small cap service like what what we traffic in uh you know we just don't ever hear from those folks and sure enough and we we got feedback from a private equity person who's like yeah yeah there's like it's hard to raise money yeah there's really not much in the way of new investments and so now you step back and you look at a frack market today which is very consolidated and very healthy yep and so you know as a someone who sells to them and is credit, you know, has credit exposure because you're working for someone. I mean, how do you feel as the the business owner today, even though you might not have all the speculative orders that you had in 2010, 2011, 2012, I imagine doing better today than you were 10 years ago. Is that a fair statement? Fair statement. Um, You know, I I love it for the healthiness, obviously, seeing that uh, there isn't this just unbridled growth for the sake of growth, like, hey, I've got an extra dollar, I need to go spend it. we're just not seeing that anymore, and that makes me feel good about the future. Um, but there are more opportunities out there today uh, for a company like ours than there were uh, back in 2010, 11, 12. Um, you know, the electrification of, uh, of our industry and mm-hmm. ele- electrification of the world has provided opportunities for power generation equipment, power distribution equipment, battery energy storage. And uh, these things are things that uh, we have the skill sets already in place, uh, the scale, the floor space, right. the overhead crane tonnage yeah. um, to, to go and, and take on and diversify our business away from just oil field service equipment. I guess that's, you know, we walk into the yeah. shop. That's one thing that's a very obvious to someone who can walk, have the luxury of going through your shop. But at Surefire, it would have just been a bunch of frack trailers right. and maybe a blender. Mm-hmm. You go through your shop today, it's a lot of different stuff. And I some of it is proprietary, so I'm not going to go down that path. But just speak to the demand that, that you see for the, let's just call it the Genset solution, the Voltagrid Dynamis Lifecycle solution. Seems like that's a huge area of opportunity. Right. Battery cell technology, I think you've, you've been playing in that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if I'm not mistaken, the building across the street, as we look out your window, you just bought that's right. You're not buying buildings if times are bad. Yeah, so, no. or, if you, or if you don't need more space. Yeah. So talk us, uh, go through some of those individual lines. Yeah. And what prompted the the, the, the expansion? 
So uh, starting with the uh, product lines, um, you know, in, in oil field service, which is really what kind of drug people to our name and, and, at, and, and got people to pay attention to what we were capable of, um, the opportunity oil field service equipment, fracturing, electrification, EFRAC, um, there is a huge call on power, mobile power. Mm-hmm. And uh, you saw that with Voltagrid, mm-hmm. uh, life cycle power probably being the first mover out there um, before Voltagrid. Um, but we saw those opportunities uh, coming up, and we saw how that was impacting other shops that we would compete with. And um, we knew that uh, with our skills and, and our folks and our engineering, that it wouldn't be a long putt for us to uh, go out there and penetrate that market. Mm-hmm. And we've been very, very surprised uh, as to uh, how much demand there has been for mobile power. So uh, with mobile power comes power distribution. How am I going to... Um, line up uh, five, six, eight, ten of these generators and make them all load share and then feed, you know, uh, eight, ten, twelve pumps, electric pumps. Um, so that brings another product line, which is power distribution. Uh-huh. Um, uh, then then last but not least is, you know, how do I store power when I don't need it? Um, and uh, we were already actually trying to solve the battery energy storage problem from a packaging perspective, uh-huh. not from a battery cell technology perspective. Um, and we've been successful um, packaging uh, batteries uh, for a microgrid application. And so we found ourselves uh, talking to oil field service customers also about how can you store power on location. Right. I still think it's early days for battery energy storage technology, but uh, it's uh, it's something that continues to, uh, but, we find it in the conversation. But the power generation side, that can go beyond just frack. Yeah. And so I'm curious how many as you what's the customer potential customer base look like for you for that side? I mean, is it I imagine right now it's pretty concentrated, but as you look out two, three, four, five years, how do you see that customer base evolving? So I, I think that's a lot of what's driving uh, the oil field um, spend, capital spend on power generation is the fact that it is not specific to uh, EFRAC. It is multi uh, industry capable. I mean, this can be a standby generator for emergency power. Uh, we're seeing that with Centerpoint Energy right. here in Houston. Centerpoint hit, led a huge contract, $750 million contract to life cycle power to s- store units around uh, Centerpoint mm-hmm. uh, substations. Mm-hmm. And in case of a trop- uh, not a tropical storm, winter storm URI event or a hurricane event where power was out, they mm-hmm. could quickly restore power using mobile power generation at sites uh, around the city of Houston. So there's there's those contracts that are going to tr- traditional oil field power providers yep. um, that make this opportunity uh, more attractive for a company like us. Like, right. hey, do we want to invest our floor space in more uh, oil field service-directed stuff, or yeah. do we want to invest some of our floor space dollars into other industries that don't cycle with oil field services? Okay. And, but it, how the, the inquiries, the demand from non-oil field to you today versus two years ago, a year ago, any re- noticeable change yet outside of the Centerpoint project, or is it it's still evolving, obviously? So it, it's really the oil field guys who are playing in different markets outside okay. of oil field yeah. that, are, okay. that are contacting us and saying, how Got can it. you help us? Okay. Now, one of the things that we keep hearing about on the earnings conference calls and just in private discussions is this whole the challenge associated with lead, to- lead times on equipment and the supply chain. 
why don't you you know walk us through what you're seeing in terms of the issues when those issues might be resolved and the cause of the issues just any thoughts so uh the supply chain is more difficult right now than at any other time in my 25 year history um never can i recall um, a period of time where simple things basic things um, aren't available for months years um, in advance um, if, if if we don't plan our business right then we're just not going to be able to build something mm. second half of this year maybe so uh, right now the supply chain is is stressed it's getting more stressed by mm. the day the week the month and uh, we're finding that uh, even small items are difficult to get. Um, you know, everybody knows uh, the Caterpillar Tier 4 DGB engine. Right. Um, that's yep. an easy one to talk about. Um, we saw issues with uh, Cat uh, Caterpillar and, and Caterpillar's uh, competitors going back, you know, many, many years. So we knew that there was going to be tightness eventually mm-hmm. uh, for the Tier 4 DGB engine being the number one uh, dual fuel engine in the application. Um, so we were able to make some bets um, outside of uh, what our customers could deliver to us. Mm-hmm. We went out there and made some bets on our own to try to make sure that we had some engines available for those that might come later and uh, not know where to go to get engines. So to dumb it down, for someone like me if i called in this case where you're talking about the dgb engine if i called cat directly and said hey derek i want to order 10 engines he would tell me roughly a year it's kind of what you hear from the frac yeah, companies yeah. call it a year i mean plus or minus a month that doesn't really matter but because of your nimbleness foresight knowledge jamie years <laughs> of experience you got in front of that so you actually if i go back into your your shed back there i might see some engines laying around that I could get in theory faster. That's right. So, so if I came to you, if Bill Austin decides yeah. he wants to build a frack fleet, when would you tell him he could get 20 pumps from Inquest if he placed the order today and gave you the check? Uh, first half of 2023. Okay. Okay. So still long lead time. Still long lead time, but uh, <clears throat> six months is acceptable yeah. in the best of times. Right. right. Six months would be fantastic delivery in 2023. Okay. And a lot of people in your shop right now. Mm-hmm. How hard has it been for you to find people? Um, Houston is is a market where we don't have as much trouble finding people. We've got a pretty good strategy uh, for recruiting talent um, right. and, and finding the best talent and, and talent that actually knows what, what a frack pump is or a blender is or a generator now. Um, right. So Houston's not our trouble market. Our trouble market really is West Texas, which okay. is going to be no surprise to anyone. And you're building new stuff here. Yeah. But I've been to the Odessa facility. That's more of a, a repair shop. Is that How would you characterize that facility, and what are you doing there? So um, very good question. What are we doing in West Texas? So we, we wanted to have uh, a rebuild center that is local to the base, and that was our initial plan. And then uh, we needed some more services uh, to balance out our rebuild center, rebuilding uh, fracturing equipment, mm-hmm. uh, to be specific. We wanted something to, uh, to balance that out, so uh, the team we hired was actually a gas compression team okay. uh, that was familiar with servicing and rebuilding and overhauling gas compressors. So uh, we started out with those two things as the plan of, of this is what Enquest is going to be out in West Texas. 
it's taken us in a different direction. We are no longer looking at light rebuild. We are engine repair and engine overhaul. Okay. Uh, and mainly the Cat 3512C. Um, mm-hmm. That's the first engine. We're starting to see some Cummins engines come in. Um, we were originally just thinking we were going to be the top end guy, the guy that uh, does the uh, replaces some cylinders uh, mm-hmm. that have gone bad, replaces some head components that have gone bad, uh, but not getting into the full overhaul. Well, we found that the market is now uh, completely sold out for 2023 for overhauls. And so we've entered the overhaul market too. Okay. So when we walk through the shop yep. so, and, and jump in your bill, yeah. cause I know I want you to talk, I know you have some questions on the blenders you saw, but like those all look like brand new units. Yeah. It's a, right. Yep. And I don't want to make this sound offensive, but if I go to Odessa, is that more of the shave and a haircut or is it, a, I mean, yeah, it's more of a shave and a haircut in Odessa. Um, it's it's local. It's a smaller volume. Uh, here is where we process uh, large volume, like fleets at a time, in okay. terms of rebuilding. And it's usually a full rebuild, a level three rebuild, if you will. Um, we do do level twos and level ones, but um, on a larger scale, where there's a fleet at a time coming at us. Okay. Um, that we need to process. Okay. Yeah, because you, you hear that a little bit about, again, on the public guys, the acquire, retire, replace type of conversations. From your business, does that feel like, I mean, you guys do a little bit of everything. Does it does it feel like you're, that refurb and the, doing more work on existing units and the kind of rebuilding them, is that is that a bigger part of your business today or is it kind of just stayed a little bit constant? Um. The rebuild business has been the bread and butter for the last uh, four years and really more so in the last 12 months uh, than than at any time during our four or five years of existence. Um, I don't see that market going away. I see us rebuilding uh, the equipment. Um, Right now we're rebuilding a bunch of tier two stuff. Uh, but eventually it's going to be the tier four stuff that's coming back and needing to get rebuilt. Um, You know, a rebuild you know, 12 to 15,000 hours. Some people go as, as long as they possibly can, maybe 18,000 hours before they rebuild. Uh-huh. Well, they're able to achieve those levels of hours in a matter of maybe three years. Um, you know, some companies maybe get a little bit more out of that than three years. So, you know, every three years you're having to turn over the entire fleet. That's a lot of work. That is yeah. a lot of work. The, uh, there are some people who say the tier two market goes away forever. What say you? I don't think so. Um, I think tier two will continue to, until you have to put a hole through the block, um, the tier twos will be out there. There are going to be customers that are not uh, focused so much on uh, ESG and uh, they're focused on cost and maybe a vertical completion versus a horizontal completion. And I just don't see tier twos going away until they just physically can't be rebuilt anymore. Okay. But electric is growing. You have your Thor unit in the field today, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. To the extent you can elaborate on how it's going, that would be great. So it's going fantastic. Uh, this this is the second time that Thor has been out uh, on a trial, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, rental contract. Um, and it's doing fantastic. It's picking up the load of two pumps, allowing our customer to go out there and uh, do better maintenance, mm-hmm. uh, more intense maintenance on the pumps that they already have on location that they right. might not have been able to get at because they didn't have any extra horsepower. They were right. running it all at, at one time. Okay. Let's say the customer really likes the job that is being performed. Um, how, 
when do they know if they like it? I guess how long do they have to actually be yeah. running this thing? How many stages or hours would you need to sort of say, ah, oh, it's passed our test? And then they let's say they come to you and say, Jamie, we now want 12. I mean, a fleet of Thors is going to be 8 or 12. What would you? I would say 10. Okay, we'll so I now, right in the middle. So I now need 10 of these things. When do I get it? So um, when do they consider it good? Um, I, I would say that there's no real um, perfect number of, of when they consider it good. I mean, we're probably at stage 60 okay. of 135 on this one pad okay. that, that's going on right now. Um, that's a lot of time yeah. on a pump, and, and it was out on a uh, for like 45 days before that, mm-hmm. uh, pumping around the clock. Um, so, you know, there's, there's no real number that I would say is, let's call it good. Uh, it's just going to be up to the preference of the customer. Right. That leads me to the next, um, the next question that you asked is how long until I can get it? Well, we were talking about supply chain issues before, and um, I will say the power electronics, your e-houses, your VFDs, your switch gear are way worse than Caterpillar engine deliveries. Okay. Um, we're talking like 12, 14 months minimum uh, before I even get the components so that I can start putting them together. Have you pre-bought some of those to have some spares laying around, if you will? You know, we haven't been as proactive okay. uh, on the, the long lead items on electric yet. We, we right. want to see uh, adoption of Thor before, right. you know, who knows if they wanted to change something in okay. the mm-hmm. electronic house, the e-house. Or, you know, they wanted a different type of VFD. Not that we're, we're as customizable in that area. Right. But we certainly want to see that Thor in its current uh, state is going to be adopted as a uh, reliable <coughs> technology in EFRAC. Got it. Uh, a lot of the public, and jump in, Bill, whenever you, because I'm on a No, no, you're, on, you're on a roll, and I, I was a lot of the, going. A lot of the, the public frac companies will talk about the concept of attrition. You made the comment earlier that some of these things might be pumping you know, 15, 20,000 hours, and that's call it three-year useful life ballpark. Again, this is horseshoes and hand grenades here. I guess in your seat, are you seeing your customers actually permanently retire capacity? Or given that the economics are still really good, it would make sense from an Excel sheet to rebuild that to keep it running, right? Because that's the, that's the question we get from investors is, okay, if there's 270 frac fleets today in the industry and we're building 25 plus or minus, you know, are those 25 going out as incremental or are they going to replace 25 existing fleets? I mean, I know every company's going to make their own independent decision, but what do you, what do you sense? My sense um, is, is that they're actually replacing okay. um, yeah. 25 individual frac fleets. Um, but I also this my sense also tells me that it takes a lot more horsepower to um, maintain. Say, say like your your fleet number was twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a lot more horsepower today to keep twenty fleets running than it did uh, say even five years ago right. with uh, simulfrac and with uh, you know really really uh, short uh, break times in between stages. Right. Um, you know. I, I know of instances where some some of these service providers out there have a hundred or more pumps down at one time, um, and yeah, some of that horsepower is probably not going to get rebuilt and never right. going to come back. It's going to get replaced by a fully upgraded unit or a brand new unit like you see right. uh, out there right now. Um, 
but there is uh, there's a lot of uh, churn out there in the existing fleets that I don't think is being communicated properly to the, okay. the public. Um, they, they're happy to tell you, I've got 20 fleets and I'm maintaining 20 fleets uh, for the foreseeable future, but uh, they don't tell you what they're having to spend in order to keep 20 fleets running. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. So it was just another thing that as we walked through, we talk, you, John, you mentioned this a little earlier, and, and Jamie, when we were walking through, you saw some blenders also mm-hmm. being worked on. What What is that? You know, that's obviously something that people don't talk nearly as much about, but you're starting to see it in terms of the work that you guys are doing. Uh, what, that, how much has that increased? How's that going from, from what you guys are doing now? Uh, blenders almost felt like they were the forgotten man, uh, even though they're the heart and soul of any frack job. I mean, the blenders go down, and uh, it doesn't matter how many pumps you have on location, you're down. Yeah. Um, so keeping those uh, blenders running is, is crucial uh, to pulling off these jobs and, and preventing uh, NPT. So, um, you know, I, I think when we went from, you know, 800 to 1,000 fleets down to now, what's the count? Uh, according to you guys, 275, 280-ish yep. fleets. Like you had a surplus of blenders, right. um, but they've now churned through some of that surplus as they're trying to put more equipment back together. And they've, in some cases, forgot about their blenders because they knew they could keep pulling them off the fence. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. They seem to be having to upgrade their blenders, rebuild their blenders, and in some cases build new blenders in order to keep up with uh, the work that's going on out there. So we've, we've seen a big change in the level of importance of a blender um, in the grand scheme of things out on our floor. And then um, what we also learned uh, as we see the blenders uh, gain more importance is that they have supply chain issues just like the frack pumps have supply chain issues. Okay. And it's similar, it's Caterpillar, um, the C18 engine, which is probably the most popular engine in the application, mm-hmm. uh, has lead times that are worse than the Tier 4 DGB 3512E. Right. And that a lot of that is, is there are other applications for that engine too, right? That is not something that just only goes into a blender. There are other things out there in the world that need that as well. So it's like, okay, get in line with everybody else. That's right. It's a, it's an 18 liter um, six or eight cylinder engine. I can't recall off the top of my head. Right. Um, but uh, anyway, it's used in um, machinery and mine hall and power gen uh, and probably a marine. Right. Uh, yeah. There's there's dozens of applications for that engine that we don't appreciate. Okay. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about inflation and how it impacts you guys. As you look across all of the various component parts, we know lead times are an issue now. Speak to what you've seen from inflationary costs from equipment and even talk about people. Yeah, so uh, start with the equipment. Uh, Inflation has been um, tremendously impactful. Uh, We get scared uh, having to keep uh, proposals valid for any more than maybe 30 days. There was a period where it was just days Mm -hmm. of validity on our proposals because we just had no idea how to plan for some of the inflation we were seeing. It's becoming a lot more controlled and a lot more uh, forecasted and communicated to us. So we're not having as big a problem. But uh, we are seeing uh, significant inflation on the major components. Okay. Um, go back to the engine. I uh, don't want to pick on uh, anyone in particular, but uh, the same engine that I was buying uh, 
for early uh, 22, you know, say a little bit uh, 575, 585, uh, we're looking at pricing um, for new engines that we want to go buy for 24 north of $700,000. Um, that's a, and and you know, let's just put it in perspective. Yeah. There's no new technology. It was the same tier four DGB engine, got the same DOC kit, the same injectors, the same fuel pumps, turbos. So um, we're seeing big inflation and, and we're having to pass through that inflation to customers who right. um, aren't buying their own engines. Well, selfishly, we want everyone to do well because they're clients. So <laughs> kudos to the engine guys for sticking it to you, Jamie. Um, <laughs> Okay, uh, I'm trying to think of what else I want to address. The but labor inflation. I know we earlier we talked about labor. Fairly easy to get folks here, relative. Uh, harder in West Texas. Can you speak to labor rates? So you don't have to give the you know, the secret sauce on all your numbers, but kind of where they are today versus maybe six months ago. And are you expecting another big round of wage increases to keep people? Yeah. So lots of wage inflation uh, right. from call it. COVID to now, um, I would even have a hard time quantifying how much wage inflation that we have seen. Um, you're seeing it in our labor rates. Our mm -hmm. labor rates have had to go up as a result. Our burden rate, uh, the, the cost that we apply to every labor of hour, uh, hour of labor that goes through our shop uh, has gone up as a result. Mm -hmm. And so um, we're seeing tremendous inflation. And, and this is not just a West Texas issue. Right. West Texas, it's more inflated as is all of our costs in West Texas because of the uh, nomadic workforce that mm -hmm. we see out there and all the other costs that you have to yep. um, absorb in order to uh, get attract people to come and work in West Texas. Mm -hmm. um, but we're seeing that in Houston too. Uh, okay. We're seeing it in Calgary. Um, you know, people know that uh, times are better, the economy's been better. We'll see what, um, you know any sort of recession mm -hmm. has what impact that has on wage inflation but it has been uh, tremendous wage inflation over the last uh, call it 18 months okay now we try to keep our podcast short because yep we, we, know that we don't want to ramble like too much big attention span so i, I want to kind of wrap this up your outlook for 23 your visibility beyond 23 and just talk about that real quick um, so outlook for 23 is strong. Yeah. Um, we, we, we know where the money is going to come from at this point. We have a plan and we're going to execute on that plan. Um, I think 23 might even surprise the upside a little mm -hmm. bit because there have been so, so, so many companies, um, uh, applying the discipline mantra. Right. Um, but there will be emergencies and hopefully we'll be able to help people capitalize on those emergencies. Um, so, uh, see a strong 23, uh -huh. um, but I have more visibility into 24 um, than I've ever had that far out um, in a very very long time. So I feel I feel confident that 24 right. is going to have um, much of the same. Right. You're still going to have the rebuilds. If if there's still activity out there, you're going to still churn through the equipment. Um, you're still going to have to rebuild it. Uh, you're going to have to replace so much with new every year. And I really think that the electrification of this industry um, it, it has me feeling better about 24 than maybe and feeling better further out than I've felt in a long time. Okay, so you, this is the best visibility you've had in your career? Is that a fair statement or no? 
um, in, in my career as, as a frat the, guy, as the yeah. leader of a company. Um, <laughs> and maybe when I was sales guy, I had some unbridled optimism. But now as the president of Enquest Energy Solutions and former president and CEO of Surefire, I haven't had this kind of optimism that far out okay. um, in call it 12 years. And again, personal question here, but margin profile of your this business model today versus 2010, 11 better? Better because of the service component, okay, okay. Um, the rebuild component. Um, it, it's a lot more. Um, it's a lot. It's more of a service that we provide than a, you know, a fixed cost. Um, here's my engine. Here's my transmission. Here's my car. right. Now I know you just bought the building across the street, but you're privately held. You look at the public companies. Everybody's focused on free cash flow. I assume at some point you guys, you probably are focused on cash flow, like any business. Yeah. But if you seeing a difference in how you think about your ownership team thinks about allocating capital versus maybe how you would have thought about it 10 years ago yeah um, there's a lot of discipline about how we allocate capital um and um you know we we see an opportunity in power gen uh, battery energy storage power distribution uh power electronics for that matter and um not not having the same kinds of market dynamics that traditional oil field service has uh, gives us the confidence that we need to go and uh, grab the property next door. Right. Uh, we don't have to add a lot of SGNA in order to staff it because mm-hmm. we just have to knock down a fence. Right. Um, and and we've got one larger facility uh, that's 50% larger floor space, 50% larger uh, yard space. Right. So uh, it just made really good sense for us to go and grab that building and expand our power gen power distribution and battery energy storage businesses and that had been unoccupied for a while if i'm not mistaken so probably 400 days on the market 400 days mm-hmm. okay last one for me um you're probably not a drilling guru maybe you are i don't know but the thing that i try to convey to people is that uh and i think I'm, this is probably a consensus view by the way there is a bifurcation happening now in the frack world which is likely to continue being you've got the high end you know, you've got your design now, test it out, but eventually you're going to build more than a fleet of Thor, right? Right. That's the ob- objective. How to, what, if the, fr- if the electric market today is, I'm t- I, sh- I, sh- I should have brought my stupid numbers with me. I'm going by memory now. This is dangerous as an old guy. I want to say it's like 30-ish fleets. Just, yeah, yeah. someone will call me up and make yeah, fun of me afterwards. Right. Well, let's just pretend okay. it's 10% today. Where is that three years from now? Um, I definitely see uh, the um, intensity of electric um, going beyond some, maybe meeting some of the expectations we were talking about a few mm-hmm. years ago, where I think I was at another event you guys were hosting, and, and some people were saying maybe 30, maybe 40% uh, yeah. of the market. I definitely see it going there and beyond. Yeah. Um, you know, any chance that you can get to reduce costs in our industry is something that's going to get the attention of the EMP companies, right. the operators. Yeah. And if you can maybe reduce your uh, fuel costs by 25 million a fleet uh-huh. annually, and multiply that by as many electric fleets as you can capitalize, you're doing that one all day long. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Okay. Yeah. Well, look, that's that's a wrap for me. 
We're going to yeah. keep this to 30 minutes. I think that's what we're doing. I think we're just about at 30 minutes. And, you know, again, Jamie, thank you very much for letting us come out here and talk to you. Um, and John, Jamie's team will be at our conference in February. Yep. Thrive Energy Conference. They Looking will have a suite and be entertaining with high-end alcohol. <laughs> so be sure to stop by. Thank um, you very much, yeah. Jamie. Thanks a lot. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye.